Good evening. Can you hear me back there? Okay, great. Well, I'm really excited about being here and being able, would you say? Louder? It's too loud? Oh, it's too loud. Okay. All right. Okay. So you're used to silence, I can tell. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, this is like right effort, you know, it's too much, then you got to tone it back. So I'm really excited about being here tonight and being able to offer this Dharma talk. But it's interesting because I feel like this retreat is a little bit different, even the title, your, your life is your practice, or your practice is your life. And the way we've been given instructions each day and talking about focusing on, on, on the body and, and the breath and then establishing a place from which to observe experience. And so I was reflecting, because that's a big part of, of the practice, it's a big part of my practice, reflecting on how can I support the process in terms of we've been focusing on, on things to do, like I, I, some of the things that I did when I gave the morning instructions, I feel like I, I set this up when I talked about the mood of wonder and t I talked about this idea of, uh, when I talked to people, this idea of creating space between stimulus and response. So if I were to title, give a title to this talk, it would be, Be Like Water. Because I think what, what my intention is, is, is to talk or to have an engagement with you tonight so that we can really be clear about what are the practices that we are doing today and this moment day to day that we need to practice here and then take those practices home or wherever we're going. And so the ideal situation of my vision is that, and an example of that is when I talked about, because I know what it's like being a yogi and having 99 other folks uh, com competing for a spot a walking spot or whatever, that there's this intention. We might even in the last five minutes of the sit, we might be thinking about a plan of attack <laughs> or how we're going to escape or should I put my shoes in the back so that I have, I have a quicker um, access. <laughs> so I'm not saying that I thought like that <laughs> when I was a yogi. But, but it's, it's really understanding that now is the time and that we practice here so that we don't lose these opportunities of the time that we get off the cushion and then we go to where we're going, that we're practicing, we're having that same meditative quality of being that we're, we're making that seamless, we're bringing that so that it's the continuity of the mindfulness, even if it's just rough mindfulness. But the reason I call it being in the body the reason I talk about that, because wherever your body is, wherever you go, your body's going to be there. And so it's a good grounding uh, uh, exercise. It's a good grounding place to be, because this is how we experience our life through the sense doors. And so when I thought about tonight's talk and how much I wanted to talk about it, and it, it, it's very interesting, because I, I have about nine different ways to give this talk tonight. That's how many ways there are in terms of practicing so many opportunities of how to practice. 
And so I think we have to begin from the beginning, right? Which is we all have Buddha nature. We have that um, masterpiece within. And so we're wired or we are, we are capable of achieving our goal. We have all we need. It's just a matter of how we use this moment and the next moment and the next moment. And so we come and we talk about the practice. And I think the practice, of, if I call it insight meditation, uh, the Theravada tradition, whatever, I don't really think we need to get that specific. But here's the deal. The deal is the practices that we are engaged in is allowing us to, to, to make, create space between stimulus and response. It's doing much more than that, but that's one of the things that it's doing is asking us, it's, it's helping us to slow things down. So within this, the space that we can, we can choose our response, that we can actually start to program ourselves so that we could be more present, uh, more, more skillful and more awake. And that, that when we have a sitting, like say if we have a really good sitting and we're, we're really feeling um, like we're making a lot of progress, but then we say, okay, I don't really want to get up. I don't want to go to my walking because I'm sitting and it's good, so I'm going to stay with it. And the interesting thing is, is there's another option there. The other option is what? The other option is how about taking that meditative state and taking it with you when you go to go to your walking? Or how about understanding that what we're doing here, we can build on that and take that wherever we go so that we get out of this dualistic way of seeing things like I'm on retreat and I'm in this safe environment. And then when I go home, well, it's not the same. It's not the same. And that may be true, but you're just taking your body, you're taking your mind there. So maybe it's not so different. Maybe it's all about talking about or having this conversation about how do we sustain that? How do we develop the, a practice that, that helps us? Because when we go home, we're not going to be sitting 11, 10 hours a day. Maybe some of you are lucky to do that, but most of us aren't going to be able to do that. So we have to have some other strategy that allows us to have practice during the day. So for me, in my, in my experience, and it's interesting because I've been coming to IMS I want to say since 1985 or 86, and I've only taught here twice this year and two years ago. So I've been a yogi most of the time. So for me to be up here and teaching, it's, it's amazing. But at the same time, I've been doing a lot of teaching in other places. And I, was, I had to be like water because I didn't have the opportunities to teach in the traditional places. So I taught wherever. I could, and so I was living at the center uh, at the CIMC, the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, and there I was the go-to person. So when somebody called and said, could you send somebody to go to come and teach uh, meditation, that was me. That was me. I made house calls. <laughs> and when I went into those situations, I had no idea what I was going to go and in, get into. And then when I was working in the prisons, I didn't know if I had to go in there and mop the floor and do other things so that I could have enough space. So there was this idea that, that I had to go with it. I had to be like water. I had to go with whatever was there, and I had to figure out, okay, so we don't have two hours to set. So how do I help them develop a practice 
where they can be more awake, more present. And so this is how I, I came up with my process or how, so you might say that we're, I'm reverse engineering this, where I usually work with people out there and then they come here. So in this case, it's like, okay, so I'm coming full circle on some level, even though I do work uh, teaching meditation centers, but it's really more about understanding and thinking about it this way, that the practice is more than just sitting on a cushion. The practice is about transforming our mind. The practice is about tuning in and seeing how we are relating to our experience and whether it's wholesome or unwholesome, whether it's helpful or unhelpful. So this whole idea of the practice, taking it off the cushion or thinking about what we could do is to really understand, and they call it the four virtues of conducive to growth. And they are, the first one is um, association with a wise friend, and that's what we would call teachers or people on the path, listening to good teachings, wise reflection, and I'll talk a little bit about wise reflection because I don't think it gets enough credit. I don't think we realize that we're reflecting, like when we're doing metta and we're doing some of these other practices, we're, we're reflecting and we're actually practicing and training our mind to be, you know, be more loving. And we get into compassion tr uh, practice, we're, we're training our mind to be more compassionate. And then, then, you know, we get into, you know, appreciative joy. All of these mind states have to do with, with the idea of transforming the mind, making the mind more dharma-like or it's, it's grounded in what I would call right effort. It's grounded in right effort in the sense that that's what it takes to get there, but it's really about right view. And so I was thinking about giving a talk, and I'm, I know all of the five this, the seven that, and four noble truths, and, uh, and I was thinking, can I, why don't I try giving a talk without really getting into specifics, but talking about using, making less be more. Okay, so if you really think about it, I was asking myself, so what's the one thing that, that I could teach that we could talk, focus on that makes everything else either easier or unnecessary? And the thing that came up was uh, right view. Having the right mindset. So if we sit down and, and we have a mindful of greed and you go sit in, in your meditation or if you're out there and you have to... Uh, deal with work, love, and play, deal with your loved ones, and you got hate in the mind, that's not going to be a very successful encounter. Just not. And if there's greed in the mind, it's the same thing's going to happen. And if, and if we don't know what we're doing, and we got ignorance, that result is not going to be helpful. So it's really as simple as like, okay, so what kind of mind am I going in there with? Am I going in with with um, generosity, renunciation, compassion, love, let's use the word love, with understanding, with, with seeing the Buddha nature in the other. Because we all have Buddha nature, or we all have that masterpiece, and I relate to you, I see you as a bunch of masterpieces out there. I don't see you as yogis that I need to fix or help. But it's not enough for me to see that I can't do it for you. You have to do it for yourself, but I can encourage you to go inside and to make a difference. And so your mind, you can, only you can know when your mind is unwholesome, when your mind has greed, 
when it has, you know, I'm talking to people, anger, or if we have, you know, we, don't, we have low energy, we have sleepiness, or sloth and torpor, one of the hindrances. So the real simple approach to this for me is really with the good friends and suitable conversations and the good teachings and living according to the teachings and what, what I keep encouraging, what we keep encouraging you from our, our instructions and everything is to see if, come and see, as Narayan said, come and see if it's true and happily attend to yourself. You can happily attend to yourself. You, you can, you know, it's real simple. It's like happiness is a choice. Now I know I'm going to get some pushback on that and I'm ready for that. <laughs> but happiness is a choice. It's a choice, but unless we are open to it and look at it, because the first, I remember I gave this talk somewhere and I, I mentioned that to somebody and he said, yeah, George, I, you know, I don't believe in that because I, you know, and then he started talking about how his mind wasn't happy. And I said, dude, I didn't say you were wrong if you weren't happy. I just said that it's a choice and it's up to you to figure out what makes you happy. But I know in the practice what makes us happy is when, we, when we're able to let go when we're able to renunciate and when we're able to disidentify with our mindset or our activity. I know it makes us happy when, when you're sitting and you're, you're just being, being fully present for yourself and your life. And at that happiness, then you, you, want, you want more. But how we go is, okay, that sitting was great, but the last sitting, man, it was nothing, uh, nothing but torture. You know, it was torturous because it was all this... Anger, frustration, I can't find my breath. And therefore, you know, I want to go home. Instead of realizing it's just that we have this ability to step back and observe that and say, okay, how are we suffering? Because what is happening is not what we want. And because we don't want it, we don't want to look at it. So we have aversion. We move away from it. So it's really simple. You can tell. If it's pleasant, you're going to move towards it, approach. If it's unpleasant, you're going to move away from it. And if it's neither, you're going to space out. That's just how, that's a nervous system. This is not personal. And even on the cushion or at home, it's the same deal. And it's interesting because when you look at something or when you become interested in something, it becomes interesting. And so when I talked about the sense of a mood of wonder, that maybe that's, that's an approach. Maybe we can look at this like, okay, instead of trying to be enlightened or trying to get rid of something or, or make some big decision, how about just taking care of this present moment and having our mind in a wholesome mind state or what I call a receptive state of mind where it's able to see things. And this is what we're training to do without moving toward, moving away or spacing out, but being interested, being engaged, but this relaxed alertness. And I read it the other day when I talked about wonder is the unwilled willingness to meet what is utterly strange and what is most familiar. It is the willingness to step back and let things speak to us, a passive receptivity to let the things of the world present themselves in their own terms. So why is that really important? What's up with that? Well, because we have a habit of projecting or interpreting experience rather than letting the experience speak for itself. And oftentimes, our projection, our interpretation is based on what happened in the past. So I know how this works. Every time I sit, same thing happens. Or, you know, when I come on retreat, 
my first three days are great, then the rest of the retreat is all downhill or some variation of that theme. And all the while, we are creating that. Because if you notice, what you hold in mind becomes your reality. This is not, I'm not making this up. If you focus on how things are bad, you're going to feel bad. You focus on what's right, you're going to feel better. So if the glass is half empty, half full, that's a choice. And if you see it as half empty, then you're coming from survival. And it's not enough, and there's all kind of anxiety, all kind of pressure. But if you see it as half full, it's a totally different thing. That's a choice. And you say, no, it's not a choice because I tried the other way. It didn't work. Well, you got to look inside and see what's, what you're attached to. Or, or why is it that I can't see that? See, that will be the question. Why am I seeing things the way that I'm seeing things? And to start to investigate. So every time doubt comes up or this I can't, we can actually start to investigate and look at and ask questions. You ask teachers, you, you can read, you can say, well, what is this? Or how do I overcome doubt? So now we start getting into the practice when we talk about right effort, right? When we talk about how when unwholesome mind state arises, how to abandon it. And when we talk about um, if a non-arisen uh, negative mind state like like thou has not arisen, why? And so what you might discover is that when we're feeling or we're in love, when we're in loving kindness and we're feeling loving kindness, we're not going to be experiencing doubt. Can't experience two things at once. The mind can only hold one thing in mind at a time. Now, it's tricky because it flips from one thing to the other, so the, the illusion is you're, you're feeling both. But really, there's only, there's only one sensation, and we have, you know, I can get into it, but I don't think it's really that necessary for me to get into all of the idea of, uh, of how, how you deal with doubt when it arises. Um, let me see, I'll bring this up. I did have something, because instead of, I don't really want to talk about it, but here's some, here's some remedies for it. So doubt is is the proximate cause of wisdom. What does that mean? That means it's the opportunity to check it out and ask questions and investigate, well, what is this? But the first thing is to notice that the mind is negative, and when, it, when there's a negative mind state, there's going to be a lot of doubt. So you have to understand, you know, you can work with the doubt or you can just let it be, learn how to abandon it. I'll give you an example of that. Um, Years ago, when I used to be a runner and I was in much better shape, I remember I went to this health fair and they did my body fat thing or whatever it was. And, and it came out, to, I don't know, it was like 11 point something or whatever. And I was, I was about to beat myself up because MJ and, and um, Michael Jordan and I think Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman, they all had like 4% body fat. <laughs> so here I am. Comparing, you know, old dude, ain't even playing basketball, comparing himself to them. And, you know, I was about to do myself in, and the wisdom said, George, we know where this is going if you go down that road. Let it go, dude. Let it go. So I let it go, and then I'm going, and I go to my chiropractor, and we're talking. And I mentioned to him, and he told me that the body fat I had was really good. And then I just laughed and said, well, I want to beat myself up for something because of my deluded mind. 
because my, 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 my mental tendency to beat myself up or to try to convince myself that I, I'm, I'm worthy by creating these unrealistic expectations. And then when I don't meet them, it's because of me. Instead of realizing that, you know, my mind is, was in the mind state and so I was doomed. And so that's why we talk about this idea of having the right view, the right view, having a view with, with, with a wholesome mind state or even just love openness and just say, well, well what is that? And so we look at that. So there's, you know, we know sensual desire. That's another one. And that's seductive, right? Because sometimes it's, it's subtle. It's like we want a certain experience. And when we don't get it, um, we say, oh, that's okay. But we're really pissed. <laughs> you know, you can see our jaws are tight. I'm okay. You know, and, <laughs> and it's like, and so there has to be this acceptance and like me, like me being, uh, I'm not that way now, but I, I, I was cool when I first came around. So I didn't have stress. So I walked around and said, no, I'm okay. And my body said, dude, we got stressed because your shoulder's up here. And you walk around. <laughs> and then I said, oh, the body don't lie. Huh? Okay, cool. And, but that's, that's what this is called for. It, it calls for this mindfulness of simple things, just watching our reactions to things that by watching my reaction to saying no automatically, I could say, okay, so even though I said that, the body is acting like there's stress there, so maybe there's stress there. And then once I open to the fact that there was stress there, then I could do something about it. And so it's just this really simple uh, process of just no matter what comes up, there's the wide reflection of, okay, if it's wholesome, then we want to enhance it or maintain it. If it's unwholesome, we need to abandon it. And there's several ways of abandoning it. And one way is if we have hate, then we have the opposite of love and kindness. But sometimes it's really, if that doesn't work, then there's another possibility, which is to reflect on the consequences like I did. I know if I kept doubt in the mind, I was going to be really depressed. And so when I notice that's where it's going, that's cause and effect, okay. So that's where the reflection comes in. If, is what I'm going to do going to be uh, harmful to me or harmful? If it's harmful to me or harmful to somebody else, it's not to be done. If it's to be harmful to me but not to the other person, it's still not to be done. And so in athletics, it's really simple because we have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so when, when people work out, and I would suggest uh, that, that we, we are all athletes. We're running a marathon. It's called life. And just like any other marathon, you have to train for it. And if you don't train for it, then you're either going to start off too fast and not finish or too slow and not even make it. Um, through the race. And so we have to understand that what's our, what's our training? Our training is what we're doing. It's showing up, developing, cultivating mindfulness, cultivating wisdom, cultivating mind states like loving kindness and, and compassion and equanimity and appreciative joy. Now that's an interesting one because appreciative joy, especially if you play in, in well, it's not only sports, but it could be you could be a part of a certain political party and your party loses, you're not so happy about the other side. 
As a matter of fact, you might be hating on them. And appreciative joy, that's to counter that, to say, okay, you know, through their own uh, karma or through their own efforts, you know, they're getting what they're getting. It's under the right conditions. It has nothing to do with, with us. It's just the way things are. And so we can choose through, in that space to say, okay, let's make peace with it. But it's not to say don't feel what you're feeling and just let it go and say, okay, you know, it's the way it is. No, you have to process what's in the body. So if there's frustration, anger there, we have to make peace with it or we have to at least try to understand why it's there and, and why, why is it affecting us, especially for most of these mind states. They keep showing up. You ever notice that? Wherever we go, there they are. <laughs> so maybe the common denominator is us and the way we're seeing things. So, so this practice is, is really... I can't tell you how powerful it is just to do a simple practice like I'm sitting and breathing and knowing it. And we start to create that space, being that eye of the hurricane, so that we actually have some equanimity. So when things come, we don't have to react to them. Because those reactions are convenient. These habitual ways of being, these addictions, they're there just waiting to act without our, without our permission. And so when we start to see how we are relating to situations, then we can choose a different response. We could change our mind, we could change our thoughts, or we can really just think about, well, what else can I do? What other options do I have? And so you talk to other people, good friends, teachers, and then you, you study, you, you, you read, you investigate, and see, well, how did so-and-so uh, do it? How did you deal with your anger? I have a roommate from college. He's not even a meditator. And the dude is chilled. He doesn't, he doesn't get angry. He's really mellow. And one day I had to ask him, I said, I said Al, man, how, how come you don't, you know, I don't see you getting angry? He said, well, I had an anger problem when I was younger. And so I learned how to manage it. Oh, that's interesting. So I'm thinking he was born that way, right? <laughs> no. He went through something, and so what does that tell me? I reflect on that, and what that tells me is that when we have these difficulties in practice, we have these tendencies where we have a lot of anger, that we get to the point where we say we are an angry person. That tells me that we don't have to look at it that way. All we have to do is say this anger in the body. And how do I relate to this anger in a way where I can, I can let it go, let it be? I can, I can abandon it or I can prevent it from arising in the first place because I'm cultivating love and kindness or I'm focusing on what I want, not focusing on what I, I didn't, I don't want. Because this is another thing is we have the ability to focus on what we want to focus on. That's why we call appropriate attention or focusing on, on certain things that enhance our ability to be present versus focusing on things that we get lost on. For instance, early in the in the practice, you know, thoughts are seductive, but we're not strong enough to deal with those thoughts. So we stay in the body and we just notice thinking. And then at some point when we develop enough know-how, we're able to turn our awareness towards the thinking and to see where the thoughts are coming from. And what we notice is that it's probably a certain quality of mind. So if we have... If we have um, hate in the mind, then those thoughts are going to be hateful. And so we start to 
notice those connections. Or we're looking at things from a perspective of I, me, and mine, not realizing that it's not personal. Things come and things go. And so to me, it's really about as simple as, as this quote where uh, John Charles says, I'll read it, because I think this is our practice, and then the other stuff comes later. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful and rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. Now, for some of us, being still, we're not feeling that one. We feel like we have to do something. And, and I, all I would say is, how's that working out for you? Because it's not about doing uh, what, some, what I'm suggesting you do. It's about checking it out and seeing if it's true. It's not my teaching. It's just the teachings, and I'm just offering it to you. But, but I really want to, you know, drive home that the stuff you're doing now matters. This moment, how we handle this moment matters. And getting to see how we can create this space between stimulus and response. And when we make choices that are unskillful, it's, it's not the end of the world. Because we can learn, okay, that doesn't work. Let me try something else. Now, if you keep doing the same thing, getting the same results, then we might talk about insanity or something. Or just having an addiction to beating yourself up or, or doing the wrong thing. But it's not to judge. It's just to say, you know, is it, is it working or is it not working? So we have to evaluate ourselves. We have to evaluate our actions. But mostly it's really more about our thoughts and, and how we're seeing things and our relationship to ourselves so that we start to understand that these practices that we are offering you, this, this little practice of just being in the body, so let's just take that. So if you really get skillful being in your body when you're walking, when you're standing, when you're lying down and stuff like that, when you go someplace and you're out there, then you can always go back to your body and, and re regroup or just say, okay, so what is happening here? What am I doing? So we start to, to talk about, and I know I'm probably out of time, but we start to talk about uh, our intentions and what is my intention. And so if you don't know what your intention is, then you're, you're not, your action is not going to be clear. And so we, we start thinking about clarity and start being really clear, asking ourselves, like we're reflecting what do I want? I ask, when I have people come to my interview, that's the first thing I ask them. What do you want? Because it's, you, it's, you, it's on you. And you, uh, you tell me what you want, then I say, okay, here are some options. And then you can kind of do that. But if you don't know what you want, uh, you probably won't get it. Or you'll get what you don't want. Because two things I like to say is if you don't know who you are, you can end up being anybody. Now, if some of you are going to come back, well, well there's no self. Right? <laughs> you come back with that. There's no self. Yeah, there's no self, but there's somebody that's feeling pain. There's something that's feeling pain. And so you may not be the self, but there's a process there that's experiencing it. And so if you don't know who you are, you can end up being anybody. And if you don't know where you're going, you can end up going anywhere. So why not decide who you want to be, how you want to be, and where you want to go? We have that ability to do that. But to do that, we have to pay attention to 
to um, what's going on inside of us, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, how we're behaving, but, but mostly what attitude do we have, what state of mind is operating. So you might discover that if you have a wholesome state of mind and you go to sit or you go to do any activity, when you're working or talking to a loved one, you might discover that it's a much better uh, situation or experience because you're more present and because you're not getting pulled this way or that way. You're just totally there and you're able to create space. So even if you have things that pop up that might be unwholesome, you don't have to react to it. So that's the biggest thing is the non-reactivity. And then in that non-reactivity, we start to develop a way of creating more space, but also being able to choose our response in the midst of activity, in the midst of a lot of pressure. And it's interesting. I've been doing this practice for a long time. Well, I don't know if it's a long time, but it's been years, 30, over 30 years. And I remember once I was, it was probably in 2009, I think, or 10 Anyway, the Lakers were in town. They were playing the Boston Celtics, and I, Phil asked me to come in and talk to the team. So I go in there and talk to the team, and after I talk to the team, I go to sit down, and I have this voice in my head say, you need to get out of here. You don't belong here. You know, you don't deserve to be here. And I just noticed the voice, and I sat down. So I still am traumatized. I still have things. Even coming here and talking, Doing this thing, not having taught here in 30 years. I can focus on that. Or I can say, you know something, that was then, this is now, but, I'm, but I still have to deal with, well, what else, what's up with that? Why? What's up with that? Why do I feel the way that I feel? Given that I created a thing outside of here that's having an impact on a lot of people who would never get this practice. But this is how the conditioning is doesn't go away. Sometimes it goes away or it lessens, but then there's times, and here's the amazing thing, maybe I'll end with that, the closer I get to success or the closer I get to notoriety, the more anxiety. The more where, where those demons or that, that, that trauma is full right in my face. And this practice allows me, not just to practice, but my good friends, these folks, like you folks, I come and I get to talk about it and I know that I have a place to talk about it and I know that you folks know what I'm talking about and there's gonna be love and there's gonna be compassion and, and you realize that we, we don't have to do this alone, but we have to have good friends and suitable conversations. How do we do this? How do we deal with when we get triggered? in the middle of, you know, we could be with our kids, we could be uh, with our loved ones, and all of a sudden we get triggered. And so that eye of the hurricane is really powerful. Allows me to see it and say, okay, I'll deal with that later, but interesting. That's how I look at it, because wonder, because I'm looking at it now like interesting, and you know something? That's gonna be, I'm curious, what is that? And how, how do I, how do I, uh, what can I learn from that? And, I, and then I can share that. So when I have somebody who has trauma, I say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's really intense. And this is how I dealt with it. That's really powerful. 
And so to me, it's all about love. It's all about not being perfect. Uh, in the Zen tradition, Suzuki Roshi said, we find perfection through imperfection. And that it's all about being okay now and then taking now and then moving forward. And so be like water. So water just goes with where it, where it goes. I mean, you know, opening night, I have a phone that I don't really know how to use that well, and, then, and I turned it off, but I didn't, turn, I didn't tell it not to vibrate. So I learned about that, but they laughed at me. They didn't say, how dare you, you know, you know and you're supposed to be representing, and you did that. And, so, and, and I was laughing too, but it was like, but that's how we have to do it ourselves. We're going to make mistakes, things are going to happen, but can we have joy? Can we just see it and say, oh, that's interesting, and it's funny. And then, but that's an event. But in the past, that would have been who I am. I would identify with that and say, you know, now they'll never let me come here. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> and the funny thing about it is, you know, maybe I'll end with this. At one point, it used to bother me that I didn't teach here. And now that I'm busy and doing my own thing, they want me to teach everywhere. And I can't teach everywhere because I, I don't have time. I don't really have time to be here. But I'm here. Why? Her, her, and you. That's why I'm here. So I'm, I'll make time. But there's a lot of time, a lot of people are saying, no, I can't go there. I don't have time. But IMS, CIMC, CFM, those are my hood. So if I can't take care of business at home, then, you know, that's a problem. It don't have to be a problem, but that's my commitment to doing this, being here and making this place a place of refuge, a place where people can come and we can kind of talk about what we're doing and we can make mistakes, but we are not our mistakes. But we, we can stay in there and just be still and know that we have Buddha nature and at some point it's going to express itself. And, and my job, I'll speak for myself, is to help you release your Buddha nature because we need everybody in here. We need your Buddha nature and you, we need you to share it with everybody because that's the only way we're going to make it. I don't know if you noticed, but it's pretty interesting out there. And so the work that we're doing here is actually having a, you know, you saw the solar eclipse. Man, we are creating a solar eclipse by what we're doing in here. This ripple is, is affecting the plant, the universe. And if you don't believe me, I know we have some programs in the military, but the fact that the military generals are standing up and acting like they're, they've been meditating here, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> Uh, that doesn't go unnoticed by me. Oh, interesting. So we're having an impact on people. And I know for a fact, because last uh, uh, October, I got invited to the uh, Naval Academy because they read my book and, and, and they wanted me to come and speak to the cadets. And I went for about a tenth of what my normal rate is because I said, I, I want to meet these future leaders. And man, they were, I mean, they read my book and they were asking me questions. Man, they didn't want me to leave. And so there's people out there in places we don't think that, 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 are, that are getting into this because they have a lot of suffering as well. 
And to me, I always say this, that what got me here was my suffering. What keeps me here is, is my joy of discovery or this, this sense of wonder and wanting to help folks. And so uh, it's really clear to me, unless you are in uh, suffering, you probably ain't going to come here. And even if you are suffering, you still might not come here because you don't know that there's a way here. But we're here suffering, but that suffering is going to take us to peace. And so I know I went over a little bit, so I'm going to end here. But what I really want in part here is let's really take care and, and loving attention to the time that we get off the cushion and go somewhere else, that we at least bring a little modicum of, of mindfulness and loving attention and compassion to ourselves and others. And even though somebody might get on our nerves, one of our neighbors or something, that we can realize that on one level we're all the same and that, that we all, you know, we all have, have uh, the ability to be Jesus Christ or, or Buddha or Hitler that we have the, those, those energies are in, inside and that if we choose to cultivate uh, the practice the way it's laid out here, then, then, then those energies will not be expressed. And so I'll end with that and, and just, just say that, you know, this is more about dialogue. I know we didn't have time to ask you questions tonight, but I'll give a talk on Thursday and that will be more... Um, dialogue, but feel, please feel free to ask the teachers questions or ask me questions, but I really need your feedback and really need to know, you know, if this is working and how to make this work better, not only here, but when you go home. So uh, thanks for your loving attention, and I think it's time to walk for a few. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.